Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It is exciting to be talking with you just four days before the Christmas holiday, one of my favorites of the year, and this year especially, I'm really looking forward to just having the day with, of course, fewer relatives around than normal, but with people who you're close with and uh, being able to just have a nice, quiet day of celebration away from all of the news that has occupied us for so much of 2020 and so much of it bad news. Of course, in two weeks, 2020 will finally be behind us. And so we want to spend some time this week looking back on this year and trying to process some of what has happened in the 12 months before many of us take that needed time off to celebrate the holidays and just relax. Today, we want to reflect on 2020 in the state of Michigan with Cranes Detroit senior editor, Chad Livengood. Chad, welcome to Detroit Today. It's great to be here this morning, Stephen. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some of Crane's biggest stories of the year in a bit. But first, reflect more broadly on what 2020 has meant for you as a person and also as a reporter and editor at Crane's Detroit Business. Yeah, um, I sort of tend to think I I covered the bankruptcy of Detroit in 2013, 2014, very hectic, uh, chaotic days in Mm -hmm. in the city back then. And I thought, you know, this I'll I'll never cover a story uh, bigger than this, Um, you know, such broad implications for for you know, not just the city of Detroit, but also the state of Michigan. And uh, and I've never worked as hard as this as well, and the hours. And I was, um, you know, I've been proven wrong um, uh, before. And, and and this is certainly a case where um, the pandemic has been all-consuming um, in our lives in just the way it changed uh, things. Back on the first week of the first cases uh, that got announced, uh, at, you know, late on Tuesday night, March 10th, after the polls closed in the presidential primary, and we learned of the first two cases. At the end of that week, I wrote this story about um, the headline was like a week we've never seen before, and and you know, and and that you know, at that time, you know, there was all these cancellations of of uh, events, and there was all these closures of business, and all these white collar jobs downtown Detroit were moving to you know people's basements basically, um, and and we just had this you know really. Know, bizarre upheaval of our lives that we had never experienced, and of course, um, uh, we really didn't know what we were in for. I mean, I mean, we just we did not, uh, you know, I don't think I had any idea uh, what this would do to our economy. To and 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 we probably well, I I don't think anybody fathomed that we would have eleven thousand deaths mm-hmm. in Michigan um, some some ten months later, and and we and. By now, uh, after the fall surge, if you don't know someone who ha- has had COVID, um, you you probably are pretty isolated in the world uh, to begin with. And by now, m- most of us know one, two, or many people who have died from this mm-hmm. insidious uh, virus. Mm. Uh, you know, you brought up the bankruptcy, which is now seven years in the rearview mirror. And, and I remember that time, too, thinking – 
the same thing that that so much of what was happening was new and without precedent and that there was this constant um, learning curve that we were all on trying to make sense of, of what was happening, but then also trying to explain it to listeners and readers and, and viewers. And I, I remember thinking that same thing, that I wouldn't, as a journalist, experience another year quite quite like that. But, but I, I think you're absolutely right that this year has been the same thing, and it's all those same dynamics. It's not understanding, not knowing yourself what is really happening and not having anything to compare it to when it does happen. And then the complexity of trying to explain it to people and to make sense of it. I, I'm so tired uh, this December <laughs> uh, as, a, as a journalist. I'm so exhausted from the year. And, and I think uh, it's, it's because of those things. That's not, that's not a typical... Uh, that's not a typical uh, uh, part of work for, for for journalists. This kind of uncharted, yep. this uncharted territory. Yeah, we're always learning. We're always finding uh, you know new things, and then trying to explain it. I I was the state house reporter for the Detroit News, and got kind of drafted into the bankruptcy team, right. uh, and. Because uh, I covered the governor of Michigan, and the governor of Michigan was taking the the city of Detroit through the biggest municipal bankruptcy in U.S. history. Um, but I didn't know anything about city finances. Uh, I didn't know anything about cops and swaps and all kinds of other funny terms I learned, uh, you know, along the way in, in U.S. bankruptcy court. Uh, and at the start of this, um, I never have heard of the term contact tracing. Mm. And you and I had a very long conversation about contact <laughs> tracing being in complete disarray. Just two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I now, um, just like anything else in my job, I, I now have had to become a subject matter expert in, in contact tracing and, um, and, uh, you know, and nasal swabs and, and, and uh, rapid tests and, mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of things uh, that uh, we just didn't have uh, any, any uh, you know, uh, understanding of. The same thing also applies to the Flint water crisis. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about uh, chemicals they put in the water to make sure that uh, um, uh, lead doesn't chip off in, in old pipes and end up in your in your drinking water in your bloodstream. Um, didn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but as you know, as journalists, we've learned about these things and then we have to, you know, can you know, explain to the public, explain to the policymakers very often um, and try to help people along in the conversation uh, as we try to navigate these uh, these events and these issues in front of us. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little about cranes this year and the coverage that you guys uh, did of all of the things that happened. Uh, your most read story of the year was when Governor Gretchen Whitmer said the federal government had told vendors not to send medical supplies to Michigan, kind of at the height of uh, COVID lockdowns and restrictions and of infections and death earlier this year, this spring and summer. Uh, talk about that story and what we know now about the larger issues it uh, it illustrated. Yeah, so this was really uh, probably the big spark 
spark that uh, set off the feud between uh, Governor Whitmer and, and President Trump. Uh, the governor was navigating a, an a, a, a increasingly worsening crisis at the time. Uh, you had hospitals like Beaumont Royal Oak, Henry Ford uh, Hospital in Detroit, uh, the Detroit Medical Center receiving hospital uh, that were at or near capacity and more uh, worse, they were out of of gloves and and sterile masks and gowns. Uh, University of Michigan Hospital as well was in that boat, and they were scrambling literally all over the world uh, trying to find uh, PPE. And um, there was uh, word came from uh, FEMA that a shipment uh, or a couple of shipments were being delayed, and and the governor went out on TV and started talking about this. Uh, and it's it's um, it infuriated the president and uh, and 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 it's sort of set off that uh, uh, chain of events where he went on TV on a Friday night and and said you know he told said said just I you was know, just plainly like they told he told the vice president don't call that woman from Michigan um, and that set off a you know a whole another set of outrage that the president was. And in questions about whether the president's administration was punishing Michigan in mm-hmm. some ways uh, during uh, during the surge, as uh, as the um, people were dying and and hospital workers were getting sick um, by the droves because they were you know um, using, uh, wash hand washing N95 masks and and trying to do anything uh, to um, uh, to reuse. Uh, PPE when it's not even, you know, anywhere near sterile. So um, that that story, you know, really had a lot of, it, it really got caught fire. I think it might've made the Drudge Report or something. And and uh, it, it had a lot of page views. And then it just, and it also just sort of set the stage for the kind of ongoing fights that are still going on. As we saw last week, uh, when the federal government uh, informed state officials out of nowhere that, you um, that their weekly vaccine, uh, Pfizer vaccine shipments were going to be um, decreased from uh, from uh, 80,000 uh, doses to uh, 65,000 or so, so a 29% decrease. Um, and it was, with, was, was without explanation. Now, over the weekend, the general in, uh, in charge of, uh, of, the, of the distribution came out and apologized about what had happened. And, it's, and uh, it seems like they've gotten the, you know, the clear message here because of Governor Whitmer and Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida and Governor J.B. Pritzker in Illinois all kind of came out and, and kind of came out swinging at the federal government about why this was happening without explanation. Um, and it's just kind of has added to the storyline that the national government has not had uh, a very good, consistent uh, message throughout this entire pandemic. And that has been really one one area where Gretchen Whitmer's um, national political stardom really started by basically just, just going toe-to-toe with the president early on. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Chad Livengood, senior editor at Cranes Detroit Business. We're talking about the year 2020, the things that have happened here in the state of Michigan. This week, we are looking back at 2020 from a number of different perspectives. Tomorrow, we're going to take a look at the year in Detroit in particular. Um, If you want to join the conversation today, uh, we'd love to hear from you about how you are making it through this year. What are the things that are keeping you going? What's one 
good thing that you can think of that happened to you this year? What are some of the silver linings of this pandemic or the political turmoil that we've been experiencing? And tell us what things are giving you hope for 2021. Uh, Are you anticipating a better year next year? Call and uh, tell us why. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Kimberly on Twitter says, uh, being home 24-7 with my two small children and seeing how much they've grown since the beginning of the pandemic has shifted my husband's and my idea of the 40-hour work week away from home while others watch our children's schedule. We're no longer interested in that lifestyle. Learning the positive impact of being more present in our children's lives has been an amazing and stressful experience and probably wouldn't have happened if not for the pandemic. That's a really great way to look at uh, 2020. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are seeing the disruptions that we've experienced as opportunities uh, to, to do things a little different and maybe not look back so fondly at what life was like before. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can go to Facebook and Twitter and we'll try to work you into the show that way. Uh, Chad, I want to talk a little about the people that we have lost uh, in the state of Michigan over the last year. It's a long list. It keeps growing. Um, But one of the top stories in Cranes was when Democratic State Representative Isaac Robinson of Detroit died of a suspected coronavirus infection. That was a huge shock uh, here in Detroit. We also lost uh, Mo Hood, who was a former state legislator from Detroit. I I could sit here for the next 20 minutes, really, and and go down the list of people uh, that that most people in Detroit would know who who we've lost. Uh, but talk about what Robinson's death meant for the city and, and for the state legislature. Yeah, I mean, Isaac's Rob, Isaac Robinson is in his, I believe, his mid-30s. And, um, and he had, had been experiencing some, some uh, shortness of breath throughout a weekend. And he told his mom, former state representative, Rosemary C. Robinson. And she, uh, when I talked to her that night, she, she tell, said that uh, she had been telling him, you need, you need to go get checked, you need to go to the hospital. At that point, it was um, uh, late March, and we didn't really um, quite know, you know, just how, how, some, how this virus can take you so fast. Um, and uh, Isaac Robinson went and checked himself in at uh, at DMC Receiving Hospital at 6 a.m. roughly on a on a Sunday morning, and he passed away by 11 a.m. Mm. Um, I mean, he was gone quickly, and uh, and and so that that was that, I think that was the, I mean the shock obviously of someone who had been a longtime labor organizer in Detroit, really well known in Democratic politics uh, throughout Michigan, um, but also just how quickly it wasn't like he got diagnosed and and then he um, you know uh, got precipitously more sick and then he had to go to the hospital and he was on a ventilator. I mean, some of them were like that. I mean, uh, uh, Benny Napoleon uh, in particular, um, just, you know, his his health deteriorated more and more uh, clearly over the last 
four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, his brother was on a ventilator and, and in, a, in a hospital for 70 days uh, in the spring, uh, Hilton uh, Napoleon, the, the former police chief in Highland Park. And so, so we've seen just different variations of how long this can take and, uh, and, and, and affect somebody. But uh, Isaac Robinson was such a shock. And at the time, also, the context was the state house was still meeting yes. in person and without masks. Um, and, and, there, and, and there wasn't any protocols, safety protocols in place. This, this caused the House and, and Senate Republican leadership to finally start taking it a little more seriously. Um, and, but they never, uh, they never went that full step in requiring members to wear masks. And this has been an ongoing source of uh, controversy. Um, I've written about it partly because their staff have reached out to me privately uh, with a lot of fears for their own safety and health. And as we found out, there's been a couple dozen house staffers alone who have uh, who've contracted COVID-19 uh, over the past uh, nine months. Uh, one uh, was a top aide to the, to the Speaker of the House uh, who, who contracted it uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It caused the House of Representatives to cancel two days of session during the critical short-lived lame duck session. It's why the House of Representatives is meeting this morning right now, a um, couple of days before Christmas, because they had to cancel an entire week, um, partly because there continued to be very lax and uh, on, on the safety protocols. And then they had that infamous hearing with Rudy Giuliani, the president's attorney, who came in with no mask and talked to them for, for, for several hours um, and kind of ran their committee, which is highly unusual too. Um, and and then uh, like four days later, he was in a hospital uh, with COVID-19. And, right. and, and that exposure caused another um, you know, cause another day to be canceled uh, in in the um, during the lame duck session. So, um, so, but Robinson's you know death really still affects a lot of people. When you talk to them about, particularly people in politics, about uh, who they've lost and 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 how um, how difficult this has been uh, because you know, people have just died fast, yeah. and that's the really hard part. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Chad Live and Good. We want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us how your 2020 went. Call and tell us how you've gotten through all of the things that have happened to us in 2020. And call and tell us what you are anticipating for 2021. Are you expecting a better year? Why and what is it that you're looking forward to? All right, we will be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Chad Livengood. He's the senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business. We're looking back on 2020 here in the state of Michigan, something that we're going to be doing all week from a number of different perspectives. Tomorrow, for instance, we're going to look back at 2020 
specifically here in the city of Detroit. But if you want to join the conversation today about the state of Michigan and the year 2020, call and tell us uh, how you're doing in 2020, how you're getting through all of the massive disruption and anguish that we really have experienced because of, uh, of COVID-19. Uh, also, t- call and tell us uh, about the political turmoil or uh, the incredible movement that has sprung up around uh, Black Lives Matter uh, this year. So many things have happened, and they all really challenge us uh, to think differently about our lives and to experience things in a different way. We'd really love to hear how you're doing that. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Let's go to Missy in Detroit. Missy, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, how are you? Uh, Great. How are you? I'm good. Um, so this year has been challenging for so many people. And my, I guess my only way of survival was finding purpose. I have a nonprofit called Female. And this year, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do it, but we finished a house rehab for a single mom. She was a survivor of domestic violence and a single mom of five kids in East Detroit. She was living in a house that was unlivable. Um, There was holes in the roof. She didn't have a kitchen. She didn't even have a bed. And uh, we just finished it last night. And she has a brand new kitchen, all new furniture. We got her a new roof. And it was just what really got me through was so many people came up to help us. So many. We have four different contractors who... uh, came to help us with this project and we put probably about over 25 grand into this house and um, we were able to complete it so just finding purpose you know and because so many people need help right now yeah that's I mean that's such a that's such a wonderful story Uh, is is that is that work that you're normally doing for people um well my girlfriends and I, we started like a grassroots nonprofit called Female, P-H-O-E, Male. And uh, we always do a house rehab once a year. And we usually do it in September, but we couldn't find a roofer. So we put out a Facebook plea and mm-hmm. a roofer came and did it um, for like eight grand, like a total tear off new roof. And then this weekend, a kitchen contractor came and spent the whole weekend doing her kitchen. So it was just so many people coming forward out of their own time. And I think this whole experience is bringing out such profound kindness out Mm. of people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Missy, that's a wonderful story. I'm really glad uh, you called to, uh, to, to share that. Um, Chad, uh, I want to talk about another one of the top stories that you guys had uh, this year. It was a November op-ed from one of the owners of Andiamo and Joe Muir Seafood about what a, quote, pause would mean for their restaurants. And I'm going to talk about that now because I think it really contrasts with the story that Missy just told about really reaching out uh, to make sure that people have what they need and that people uh, who are hurting um, are, are getting what they need. The owners 
at Andiamo and Joe Muir uh, at one point were urging other restaurants to defy the state's COVID-19 restrictions uh, because they were worried about uh, what they were doing with their, uh, what, what effect it was having on their businesses. Uh, talk a little about that saga. Andiamo has since had its liquor license suspended for defying those state orders. Uh, but what this means more broadly about how restaurants specifically uh, are handling uh, these restrictions. Yeah, I mean, never in our, our state's history have we had some some kind of event, whether it was uh, um, this kind of um, uh, nature-created disaster of a, of a virus spreading or a man-made disaster, where the government has had to come in and and basically pick which businesses can remain open um, in, in the name of public health. Uh, and this has really been... Um, you know, unprecedented uh, throughout the year. We obviously and we obviously had the the ten week shutdown, uh, stay at home order back in the spring, and then that prompted all the all the lawsuits and the fight all the way to the Supreme Court in October second. Uh, the Supreme Court issued this landmark uh, case, which uh, shows up in our top 20 stories of the, of the year as well, Well, where uh, where they ruled against the governor. And then the governor found a new way to um, force uh, restrictions on capacities in restaurants um, under the argument that um, uh, if you are maskless in an indoor setting uh, with people you don't live with, uh, you are um, at a higher risk of transmitting or, or, con- or contracting the virus than if you are um, going into Kroger with with the mask on. And so uh, this op-ed from, from Rosalie Vicari, um, you know, kind of laid out, you know, what happens when with this ongoing pause um, and that they, that's the way they've termed the shutdown mm-hmm. um, for restaurants and and you know the hundreds if, uh, of workers in their company who got laid off as a result of it across a dozen plus restaurants across Metro Detroit, one of which in Warren was fined for for um, illegally operating or serving alcohol and or serve, allowing. Uh, People to congregate, and they had their liquor license uh, um, suspended uh, just last week. Um, but uh, this tension has remained, and no one has figured out how we. We just still haven't figured out how to manage a pandemic and manage the spread of an airborne virus. Uh, and let everybody uh, go about their business um, uh, and do whatever they want. And that has been one of the major struggles of 2020, uh, both uh, ideologically and politically, but also, um, you know, economically, um, that uh, we uh, we were all in agreement that we must let the, let the car plants restart as soon as possible and, uh, and, and the construction to recommence. I mean, uh, Missy talk about, you know, this how trying to find a roofer right now. It is impossible to find a roofer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, construction workers are working uh, an ungodly amount of hours right now and never never have been as, as busy. People are putting lots of money into their homes because um, they're spending a lot of time in their homes more than ever. And some of these homes were not really designed for people to live in 24 hours a day. Um, but th- that is kind of the new norm now or people are viewing it that way. Um, but the restaurant industry just has, you know, some people have adapted, obviously, but these high-end restaurants 
uh, like the Joe Muirs and Adiamos uh, uh, of the world and the prime and propers, uh, they 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 are just not equipped to to um, to you know sell seventy dollar steak dinners uh, in, um, in 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 cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not their um, not their uh, business model. And people want to go in and, and get wined and dined, mm-hmm. and and so. Uh, that has been, you know, the struggle. Just and and I, and we're we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more business failing. So that on that front here in the in the next uh, three months, whether the whether the shutdown is lifted or not. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is really a tough. Uh, it's a tough time in the restaurant industry. I don't, for a second, support uh, what the owners of Andiamo and Joe Muir were saying. And encouraging other other people to do, but I do absolutely sympathize with the the, the incredible hit that theirs and other businesses uh, have taken. Let's go to Brother Ray in Detroit. Brother Ray, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, yeah. Um, my takeaway with the uh, this era of the, the, the pandemic for me, it, it there's some negative and positive. It really allowed uh, the conversation of race and race relations to, to kind of uh, kind of put to the top of the, of the discussion during these last eight, nine months. And you have a lot of the uh, the protests because really had it not been for uh, schools, college closing, uh, people out of work but not working, you would have had a large uh, uh, mass movement of protesting, not just in this country but around the world, uh, to discuss or to have a conversation at a higher level on a national scale hmm. about race and race relations. Yeah. And also, I think, as you think about how the government is, is actually dictating uh, our, our affairs, I mean, I don't think it's right for uh, a loved one or a wife or husband or, or, or a child not to see their parents, not to see their loved ones while in the hospital going through this, 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 this terrible crisis. Because, you know, love, love is it's a, it's a power in love. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, for me, if we had more people allowed to see the loved ones during the hospital stay, I think just that love alone, that connection alone, would probably save some lives. Mm. Just the power of love. Wow. But yeah, but for me, it's the it's the highlight of the race uh, conversation. I think that that's it was it's a good it was a good opportunity. You, you know, brother, it's a really interesting way to to look at it. And I've I've heard a couple other people say that same thing over the year that that this gave us. Because it ha- of when it happened, uh, it, it gave more space for people to pay attention to the issue, and it certainly gave opportunity for that movement to grow up around it that, in a way that I, I don't think we would have seen uh, otherwise. And so that's a really that's a really great uh, observation. I'm I'm glad you called and and made it. Uh, Dave on Twitter says uh, he was grateful to be able to work from home and get more time with his son. His son is three, and uh, they spent every lunch hour playing, walking, riding bikes, and reading books. Uh, Dave was able to provide much-deserved breaks for his wife. No one should ever tell a stay-at-home mom uh, they don't work. That's absolutely true. Uh, Dave, uh, thanks very much for that comment. Melissa on Twitter says, uh, after a frustrating nine months of unemployment and no work, Related to her desired field in Detroit, she found opportunity for remote work much more plentiful as the pandemic progressed. Uh, she recently started a dream opportunity in Portland, Maine, from her Gross Point Park home. So thankful for that. Uh, Melissa, thank you very much for uh, the, the Twitter comment. Let's go to uh, Jackie in Detroit. Jackie, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Hey. 
Um, so first of all, I just want to, of course, always just thank you. You are one of the positive, you're one of the bright lights of Detroit always in oh, these dark times, maybe even more so. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I guess for me, it both has to do with young people and how they've risen to the occasion, you know, with adversity. Um, the first is my kids who have a 15 and 20 year old who just learned so much about the political system, way more than I knew at their age, and have really gotten engaged. And my daughter, who became really involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. and kind of led me and, and just in the kind of outer edge parts of it in terms of defund the police and challenge my, some of my assumptions about the police. So um, that's been really amazing. And then the other thing is um, the leadership team of Avalon, um, as you know, I own Avalon Bridge, and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, they have risen to the occasion to pivot to, we have a manufacturing side of our business, to pivot to this co-packing opportunity we had and to scale it so quickly um, so that, you know, that's how we're going to survive. And the ones in re- the leadership team in retail just dealing with this incredible challenge um, so gracefully and powerfully and intelligently work so hard and um, they've inspired me and uh, I'm just really, really grateful. Mm. Uh, Jackie, I really, really appreciate uh, all of those thoughts. Thanks so much uh, for calling. It's always great uh, to hear from you. Uh, uh, Chad, before, uh, before I let you go, uh, I want to ask you about something good that happened for you this year and what you're looking forward to in 2021? Um, you know, I kind of uh, think I came to, to learn about uh, a little more about life work balances. Um, and you had to uh, being uh, stuck at home for so long. And so uh, I, um, you know, personally have grown uh, on that front, I think a little bit and, and, uh, and learned some new lessons from that. And, and I'm sort of very hopeful that, um, you know, uh, as we kind of go forward in the next year, you know, I'll kind of uh, uh, change some change some of the ways I I go about uh, uh, doing my job and also um, being uh, being there for my family. Okay, Chad Livengood, senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business. Always great to talk with you. Uh, have a great holiday, and uh, we'll talk with you in the new year. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas, Stephen. All right, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to look at the current state and future of Prop N, the blight elimination initiative that was approved by Detroiters on Election Day last month. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.